0: Praise the Lord, everyone. Happy Sabbath to you all. It's good to be the house of God and in the sanctuary. Amen. The title of this sermon is, It All Begins With I. I thought at first that it all begins with one person. It all begins with just one But I happened to see a book, and the name of the book was It All Begins With I. I don't know the author, and I haven't read the book. But that's true, isn't it? You know, every significant thing that's ever happened in history began with I will. I will. I'm willing. Of course, the most significant was Jesus when he said, I will, Father. I am willing. Both unity and division. Begin with one. It begins with I. Amen? So one way or the other, you will make a difference. You do make a difference one way or the other. Every person is a difference maker. So you have to choose what kind of difference you want to make. Amen? You hear? You have to choose what kind of difference you want to make. And also, you have to examine yourself and... See what kind of difference you are making to whoever you're around. We are called to be lights in the world. There's a story that I've told before, but I'm going to give one in more detail today. Pray for me that I would, because I, I, most of it I'm, make, I'm making up on the fly, but I trust that God will give us what we need. There was a man in the airport, Chicago airport. He was waiting in line. And he got bumped from behind pretty hard. And he turned around and he saw that there was a man that had bumped him and he was walking away. Just saw him walking away. Well, he was upset a little bit. He thought he'd let it go, but then. He you know, said, like, no, I'm not going to let it go. So he said, hey, hey, I'm talking to you. Nothing. Nothing. So he walked over there. He walked out of line. He went up to that person. He said, hey, I'm talking to you. Stop ignoring me. Still nothing. He got angry. He pushed the man to where the man fell onto the floor. And everybody looks around and what in the world is happening? When the man fell, though, his pants legs raised up a little bit, and you could see that he had prosthetic legs. It was metal kind. And then he noticed that on his, this man's shirt, there, was, there were several post-its, you know, the little peel-and-stick post-its? several of them on there. And when he saw that, he knew who that man was because the man was a very famous war hero who had not only received a Purple Heart for his wounds, but he received the Medal of Honor on a nationally televised event where the President of the United States awarded him and put the Medal of Honor around his neck And the president had a son and on that nationally televised event where everybody is watching, honoring this man because he had put himself in harm's way to save his fellow soldiers, there was a a blast that they knew was coming. They could hear the shell coming and he threw his body in the way as a shield to others. He not only lost his legs, but he lost both eyes. He lost his hearing from the blast that destroyed his eardrums. And a piece of shrapnel hit his brain, hit his head, the part that damaged the part of his brain that allows you to speak. So he was a man with no legs, a man with no eyes, a man with no hearing, and a man unable to speak. And when the president was putting that Medal of Honor on him, the president's son came up and put a yellow post-it that said, thank you, you are my hero. And it went viral, and everybody in the, in the country noticed that. So wherever this man went, there would be people out of showing honor and respect and love for this man and for the service and the sacrifice that he made, the selfless sacrifice. Some people would come up and they would write things like, I love you or thank you so much, thank you for your service, you're a hero, and they would just stick it on him. And it happened everywhere he went. So when this man, young man who was waiting in line, he pushed him and he fell down and he saw him He knew who he was. Everybody knew who he was. Matter of fact, to go in to the airport at Chicago, there was a memorial statue of him as you walk in. So you don't, everybody in the country knows this man. Now, he's laying there. He can't see, he can't hear, he can't speak. He doesn't know what's happened, and no one can explain it. He's in the dark, literally, Not only in the dark with his sight, he's in the dark with understanding why someone pushed him. What happened? Was it an accident? I don't know. Was it malicious? I don't know. I can't hear. I can't see. I can't speak, so I can't ask. And so now people are angry. And one woman said to the man that pushed him, you disgust me. And she walked off. And others were just glaring at him with deep content. How could you do this? To this poor, blind, deaf, mute, legless man who was a hero, who gave his life for others. But he didn't know. He jumped to the conclusion, see. And people were berating him. And finally, someone with a little compassion And he felt condemned, and he just kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. He helped him up, trying to, you know, make right the wrong that he had done. Someone saw some hope there, and they went to him privately. Said, I don't know why you did that. I mean, I I don't know what you did, but I saw compassion on your faith. I, I saw that you were sorry, that you regretted what you did. You look to me like a man who is hurting. And he said, he began to cry, and he said, well, I am. I've been here in Chicago, away from home on a business trip, and I had to leave early because I received a call from my wife. She was very distraught. And we were just informed that our two-year-old daughter is dying from cancer. She has terminal cancer. And so I we're heartbroken, and I I was just on edge, and so I struck out. I wouldn't have normally done that, but I did. You see, we don't know, do we? We only know in part. If we leave here with anything today, let us leave here knowing we don't know. The Bible says we only know in part. We know in part. You see, and you make a judgment. You hear, you make a judgment. Something happens, you make a judgment. But let's all understand, all you know is the little you do know. And it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. So let us understand that. That's how we can live with one another and live in the sight of God. Only God knows. Only God knows the heart. That would have been a terrible situation when that happened because uh, the hero, how do you explain to him how? You can't tell him. You can't write it down for him to read. I don't know anybody that, you know, that carries around a machine that can... That can you know top braille I don't even know at that point he could read braille because you know I don't know how old his injuries were and how long it took for him to recover to where he actually could even get around I mean most people like that I guess you'd take a while before you could learn to re- read braille with your fingers I don't know if part of his brain would be damaged where he wouldn't be able to do that even you know So we should always give every circumstance and every person the benefit of a doubt. You know, Peter was sifted like wheat. The devil asked for him specifically. He, You know, the devil, you know, got a hold of Job and his family, and God allowed it to happen. It looked like Job was suffering because he was a sinner. Everybody thought, God is not unjust, so if you're suffering, uh, then you you must be the one that was unjust. So his friends are saying, listen, we know you did something wrong. We just don't know what it is, and and God's not going to have mercy on you unless you admit it. Well, Job honestly could not. Remember anything that he had done that would have offended God, you see? And God himself said to the devil, have you noticed my servant Job? There is no one like him. But Job suffered, but God blessed him. Sometimes when we see suffering, I wonder if what we're seeing, part partly of what we're seeing is not as bad as it appears to us, that when the Lord comes and the suffering stops, that we find that there wasn't as much unbearable, well there isn't any unbearable, I guess, but as much unbearable pain as we thought. Amen. When we're talking about this covenant, our salvation is absolutely assured. The Lord is not just going to let you leave. Now, people, you know, most people who leave, they leave a little at a time. You know, it builds up. They 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 began drifting away from God a little at a time. Little decisions. That's what happened with Solomon. You know it's what happened with Solomon. What happened with Solomon? Bad company corrupts good morals. He surrounded himself with pagan wives. And, and, you know, whenever you have people you're close to, you want to, you have a tendency to want to please. Even if you compromise, you want to please, you know. But let me say this. Don't be led by people who God wants you to lead. Do you hear what I'm saying? Don't take the position where you're following and being led by someone whom you should be leading to God, leading to righteousness. And I've always said, you know, if you're going to go to the world and you're going to have worldly friends, work the work of Christ so that you can help lead them out of that darkness. Don't build your house in Egypt. Let's be more like Abraham and not Lot. Lot. His nephew, you know, when they had to separate because there was a, you know, quarrels between their servants. You know, they had all these herds and flocks, and there was, there was quarrels there. So they said, "Okay, this is too. You take one side, I'll take the other." Abraham said, "You pick, you know, and I'll take the other." Lot looked toward Sodom. That's what the Bible says. There was something a little bit appealing. He was a righteous man, Peter said that. He said that righteous man was vexed by the wickedness of Sodom. But he was still foolish. You can be pretty righteous and still do some foolish things, amen? I've done my share. But he looked towards Sodom. And you know, they lived in tents, and that's what they were supposed to do. They're supposed to live as strangers. God called Abraham out. Lot came with him. I mean, why did Lot come with Abraham? Because he believed Abraham. He had faith in Abraham. Because Abraham had told him, God told me to leave the greatest city in the world, a city of peace, a nice city, not a wicked city by, you know, the world's standards at all. And when you look at the statutes, of the city of Ur, this, the, the dignitaries and things that they, they have smiling—you don't see that smiling faces. They have open arms, and uh, you know, it's not at all like what you'd find, you know, in Assyria, <laughs> you know, conquering. You'd find a statue with a soldier holding up a severed head of his enemy. You know, it's not like that. Ur was a peaceful city; people lived in prosperity. But God said, Abraham, come out not only will I make you a city, but come out, but I'll give you a golden city. Because we find that Abraham was looking for a city not made by men, but whose architect and builder is God. We find that in Hebrews 11. He said, come out of this city, and not only will I give you an eternal golden city, I will make you a whole multitude of nations. I'll give you a son. You've never had any children. You and Sarah's never had any children. You, Abraham, one man, can make all the difference for all of humanity. And not even from now to, to, to the future, to the end, but from now all the way back to Adam, to Abel, to Abel, and all the way to the last human beings before the Lord comes, and those resurrected and the second resurrected. You will be a difference for all of them because you'll be the father of them all, both Jew and Gentile alike. And I'll make a covenant. I'll make a covenant with you. And I will not break my covenant with you. I cannot break my covenant. And my covenant will not be dependent upon anything they do. My covenant is to depend upon my word. My word. And the blood of which this covenant is ratified, and that's the blood of Jesus And there's no devil or demon in hell that can do anything, can break that seal. And the Lord says that we're in this covenant, we are sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. I said we're sealed. Oh, I think if the devil touched that seal, his hand would probably fall off, probably rot off, turn like leprosy and just rot off. He's not going to even come near that seal. He can't. He'll just try to get you to break it. But you know what? You can't break it because everybody's broken the covenant. Israel broke the covenant too. And you just break it. But guess what? There's another one. (laughs) And you can't reach it. It's back there. (laughs) You can't reach it. You can't break it. You just lose your first love. If you lose your first love and you hate and you... Stop hating sin and you stop loving the world. That's the only way that you leave God, you know, to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3 in Asia Minor. Only to the Ephesus church did he say, I will take the lampstand. That's the only church that he said that. Do You notice that? He didn't say that about any other church. He said, you've lost your first love. And you need to do the things you did before. And if you don't, I'm coming and I'm going to take my lampstand. Now, that's the Holy Spirit, you see. The Holy Spirit cannot even flourish at all where there is no love. It has to be in a vessel where there is love. So that's why the Holy Spirit convicts us to repent and turn to God and receive his love. You know, listen, you can say, well, I I don't know if I love God enough. Listen, you know why we love God? John tells us in 1 John, we love him because, what? He first loved us. The love we have for him comes from him. The faith that we have comes from him. The fear that we have, the measure of fear in order that we would respect and obey him comes from him. It all comes from him. Now when Abraham and Lot, think about it, Lot moved his tent, it says... Toward Sodom. Now he's in this land. You know where Abraham went? He decided not to stay where he was. When this happened, the Holy Spirit moved him to move his tent at a place called the Oaks of Mamre. And there was a reason why the Holy Spirit moved him to move his tent, his temporary dwelling. Showing God, I know I'm a stranger on this earth. That's why when we go to Feast of Tabernacles, we stay in temporary dwellings for us. He moved that to the, by the oaks of Mamre. And it was at the oaks of Mamre that the Lord and two angels appeared to him. You remember, he killed the fatted calf and he said, oh man. And that's where the discourse over Lot I mean, over Sodom took place. We'll probably read that. I think that's in uh, Genesis chapter 18. So Lot, though, listen, he moved his tent a little farther away from Abraham, a little farther away from the father of the faithful, a little farther away from the promise, promises of the covenant. That's what it symbolizes. And a little closer to the city of sin, a little farther away from the city of peace, Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem means city of peace. And the new Jerusalem is the city that's never had anything but peace. And then it says, a little bit over, a little bit more closer, where you could see... Sodom, looking over there. Hmm. wonder what it'd be like to get shed of this tent. I bet I could find me a pretty nice house or an apartment. <laughs> and eventually, just from here to here, I mean, they're going opposite directions. Abraham was going to where God is leading him. Lot, He's righteous. And he has a wife and he has two children. And eventually you find out he just moves in. Now, when God asked Abraham, or oh, well, he told Abraham, and in the story he debated whether to do it or not, shall I tell Abraham what I'm really going to do? What I've sent my two angels toward that direction where Lot is, where Sodom is. Should I tell him? Yeah, I'm going to tell him. I'm destroying Sodom. Now, I don't even know that Abraham knew if Lot was actually living in the city or not because he was way over here. I don't know if they'd seen in between. I I have no idea. And I don't know whether... Abraham was, you know, thinking that Lot wouldn't be rescued, or whether Abraham was seeking God because he wanted Lot to be rescued. I don't, we don't know that. But he said, Well, but Lord, if, if don't, you know, let me say, humbly say to you, and it was very humbly, he said, He said, You know, I, I know it's not my place to say, but please, If you find 50, if you find 50 in there, will you still destroy the city? And the Lord said, no. If I find 50 there, I'm not going to destroy the city. And you know the story. Abraham kept going down. Remind me of some of the bargaining I did in Africa. (laughs) Some of those markets, they like to haggle. It got on down to where Abraham, he said, uh, Can I just say one more thing? Can I just ask one other thing? He was very humble, and the Lord said, Yeah. He said, Well, if there's only 10, just 10, you know what the population of Sodom was? According to uh, one source that I checked, anyway, 250,000 people, a quarter of a million people. And God says, Okay, no, Abraham. I don't think God was doing this as a favor to Abraham. I think he was just giving him information. No, I mean, they're over there, they're checking. I've got some angels over there. They're checking, they're examining. We've been watching, but if we find, and one one thing I know that the Bible doesn't tell us, but this is how God always works. He does nothing without warning anybody. No city, nothing without the prophets. He says that. So I have no doubt in my mind that God sent people you know, to Sodom. And maybe he even had Lot, you know, appeal to them because he did appeal to them when they came to his door. He said, don't act this wickedly. Please don't act wickedly, you know, by asking for these, my guests in my house so that you may violate them. Now, he had kept his two daughters virgins. So they were still virgins. And they were at least teenagers, teenagers because they were uh, childbearing age, and he had his wife. But he had put them in a position to where it was bad company, you see. He was around people he couldn't lead. And he was vexed by their behavior, but I don't know why he stayed. Maybe the comfort of living in the city. Maybe the co- Maybe it's... You'll compare that with living in a tent. I guess living in a home is a whole lot more comfortable. And so God says, okay, if I find 10, if there's 10, I will spare the city. I will not destroy the city. And you know the story. He destroyed the city. You know why? Because he didn't find 10. Out of 250,000 people, he didn't find 10 people who responded to whoever he sent. And I bet he sent more than one person. You know, if he sent Jonah to Nineveh, he sent somebody that we don't know. Maybe somebody there. Maybe it was Lot that was already there. But somebody he sent to give them the opportunity because he doesn't do anything without giving people an opportunity to repent. He never has. You won't find it anywhere. Now he may discipline you if you're his child, but I'm talking about a nation or a people that not in him, you know, to where they don't know him. He does he only he doesn't expect much out of them, but if they're exceedingly wicked and you know there's so much violence, there's there's so much you know, whenever you have those type of things, you've got all kinds. you got murder, you got cheating, you got everything else, and the cries just go up. Maybe Lot's cries went up. Lot was probably thinking, well, maybe God will do something to help. But what God did do is he rescued Lot out of there. But what happened next? Well, Lot's why? Actually, you know... Lot was in his house. Those men were at the door. They were saying, let us have your guests, those strangers that are there. We want to violate them. We want to sexually violate them. And he said, please don't do this. Don't act wickedly. These are my guests. Don't act wickedly. He probably knew they were angels. He said, don't act wickedly, please. I have two virgin daughters. Take them instead if you've got to take someone. And they said, no, we're going to. We're not only going to take them, we're going to take you. And we're going to, to, uh, you know, be even more violent with you. I forgot the terms, but it was like, like, you know, violently being raped. And that's when those two angels struck them all blind. And then they didn't say, hey, let's go. They took them by the hand. I'm not sure Lot would have even went. He hadn't left yet, amen? But God rescued him. Did he rescue him because he was righteous? I doubt it. I think he rescued him because of Abraham. But I don't know. But I think so. Because he deserved to be destroyed along with the city if he's full enough to live in it and put his family and children there. You know, it's still saved. But when they came out, his wife looked back. And, and the angels had said, don't look back. His wife looked back and became a pillar of, a, of salt. Now he's living in a cave. And his two daughters now, all they've known pretty much for a while is this wickedness. They've been influenced. That wickedness does not seem so wicked. It seems kind of natural. I've heard that before. Well, it's natural. Well, yeah. We're supposed to live supernatural. God's called us to supernatural, not natural. God's not called us to give in to the natural, the body of death, but to repent and receive the supernatural divine and be partakers of the divine nature. That's why we're born again. Amen. And so you know the story of what they did. So, well, we don't have any men. We're both virgins. We don't have a mom. We don't have any. I mean, I would like to have a kid. Well, let's get dad drunk. And while he's drunk, you lay with him, get pregnant, and then we'll get him drunk the next night, and I will. How about that? And that's what happened. You see how the wickedness goes down. Why did that happen? Do you think if they were living in the desert in their tents where they were supposed to be, and not gone over out there, they went to a place where they could not influence, but could only be influenced by. They went to a place where full of people that they could not lead to righteousness. And if you can't lead someone to righteousness, you can't stay. Even Jesus said when he sent them out, he said, kick the dust off your feet. If they don't receive it, kick the dust off your feet and leave. That's all you can do. Now, when we're talking about correcting, we're going to turn to, uh, you can turn there if you want already, Romans chapter two. We're talking about correcting. Um, You know, the Bible tells us that we go to one another and entreat one another. We humbly come to one another if we need to, and we entreat the other person. We're not above the other person. We have no authority over the other person. You know, somebody say, well, What about the scriptures that says, well, rebuke and exhort with all long suffering? Well, read who, is, who he's read it. Who, who, who said that? Paul? Who'd he say it to? an evangelist, Timothy, that he was sending, sending to who? False teachers, amen? False teachers who had to be corrected. Where do you ever see that? I mean, what did Peter say about elders with the brethren? Don't lord it over them. Serve as examples. Have you ever seen Paul lord it over anybody? You know what they said of Paul? They said, well, your letters, you talk big in your letters, you know, yeah. But (laughs) when you're here in person, you seem kind of meek. You know, you just said, well, that." you know. Anytime he talked strong like that, real strong, it was mostly because people were leading people off, and he's really directing it to them. I want us to not escape the fact that every single epistle, was written first to the elders of the churches in a city. That, that it wasn't distributed to every every person in the church, uh, you know, new converts and old. It was sometimes it just says to the elders in a city, and sometimes he names some, but that's who is sent to instructions for them what they're supposed to do. Now, when it says to us, it says, when we come to one another and we entreat one another, we're supposed to do it in a way to where we, we esteem ourselves lower than the person we go to. We're told by Paul that we're supposed to entreat people, treat young men like sons, young women like daughters, honor the old like a mother, the old like a father. That's how it's supposed to be. We might use the word correct and we may think of it as like setting someone straight. Correct just means if something is wrong, you make it right. That's all. And we all are wrong and we all are right about different things. Amen. So, you know, if there's something publicly happening, You know, I mean, if, if somebody's walking down the aisle here and we're a huggy bunch and we go to hug, uh, hug them, you know, and they just knock our arm out of the way or something like that and other people, well, you can't let that go, you know, without saying, hey, listen, if you don't want to be hugged, don't knock somebody's arm out of the way. Just put your hand up and just say, no thanks. <laughs> they won't bother you. <laughs> Amen. They won't. Would you? No? You say, okay, I'll give you space. At least you want space right now for this day. Maybe there's something going on. Maybe you got a bad report, you know, or something else. Who knows? So we live with each other with understanding. Now, something like that, you may just have to go and say, hey, don't do that. I would do that as a pastor. I have done that as a pastor, things like that. But, you know, through my life as a pastor in 2014, 20- 20-something years, almost 25 years, 27 years, um, I knew who it was in the congregation that that I could actually go and correct. And I've always said, I'll pastor who will let me. I'll teach the others who will let me. And then I'll just love the ones who won't let me do either one. (laughs) Anything else but love them. You know, and just pray and just hope that things come along. You know, that's all you can do. Amen. But the the point of correction is not to uh, like get on to someone or be authoritative or something like this. It's not that at all. None of us have a right to correct anybody. Nobody gave you a right to correct. Now, pastors are told that they have to do certain things like that. Timothy is an evangelist but the body of Christ, we're all the same. Amen? We're all the same. And not just the same, but each one of us is supposed to esteem others as greater than us. So, you know, if we see something that we, we, maybe there's a problem, and there always are problems, well, then what we have to do first is say, okay, let me examine myself, make sure that you know that I'm humble. Make sure that my motivation is from God. I'm led by the Holy Spirit. Pray about it, and then you go and to whoever it is. But here's the thing. Let me let me say this. You have to know whether um, you're in a position to where they will receive it. Amen. Because if you go to someone where you're not in a position uh, to say, hey, you got this problem, you know, and I thought you should know. They do need to know. I mean, I hope they want to know. I've seen that many, 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 hundreds of times, honestly. And whenever I... Discern wrongly the person, it never worked. It it caused the situation to be worse. It caused offense. Because you can't correct someone unless you can. (laughs) Let me put it this way. If my car needs correcting because there's a mechanical problem, I don't call my dentist. I might have a dentist that could fix it. I don't know. Maybe he's a mechanic, too. But I never even think about calling a dentist to fix my car. And I never ask my mechanic to work on my teeth, (laughs) you know. And so we have to decide, okay, before we go to somebody to deal with a problem. Now, if it's a personal problem, you have to go to them like you know if you're upset with someone you have to because that's what jesus said to do you don't go go make it but i'm talking about like a position being in a position to correct only leadership is in a position to correct only parents are in a position to correct their children you know or maybe grandparents and sometimes grandparents are not allowed so you know how that goes but you don't automatically just because you're in the church of god or because of age or anything else Have a right to go and correct somebody. You have to first find out, is it possible? Just like you would say, is this, uh, you know, some of you work on your own vehicles, and you say, well, if it's possible, I'm going to do this, save money, right? But then if you look at it and say, you know what? It's over my head. I can't do this. I'm not able to do it. Well, then you have to hire someone who is, amen? And the thing about it is, there's always someone that is able. But there's always been people, always been people, that I would have loved to go to and to point out something. But I knew they wouldn't receive it from me. They weren't in a position. Maybe they were just independent-minded. I perceived and knew after praying about it that they they would be offended if I came to them. So I couldn't just go to them, you know. I would just have to pray about it. But almost everybody has somebody in their life that they trust and they can go to. I don't know too many people that don't. So it's not like all of us are alone. You see what I'm saying? We're not. Let's go to Romans chapter 2. So, see, I mean, we can make a difference, but we have to do things the right way, amen? And we don't a lot of times, none of us. So when we don't, we shouldn't feel condemned about it. We shouldn't, <clears throat> you know, beat ourselves up about it. And <clears throat> on the other hand, if you're on the other end of that, same thing. It just This is part of living life as a human being, amen? The point of it is, even in all this, like I said with the opening story, we only know in part. That's it. We don't know the full. And sometimes, uh, if we knew everything, it would change a lot of things. Amen. <clears throat> now, here in Romans chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Now, that really applies to all of us. Now, we might say, well, uh, I don't practice what that person practice. No, but you practice something that that person doesn't, you know, <laughs> or do something that that person doesn't. We're all in the same boat when it comes to that. That's why, you know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which I suggested everyone to read um, on the church page, you know, is that why not rather just be wrong? Why not be wrong? Why do we have to have justice right now? I will never get it anyway. But if we did, we'd probably be a pile of ashes. You know, if justice came to me, that's what I'd be. I want justice where it benefits me. I don't want justice where it comes back on me, but see, it does. If justice comes, justice is like a, you know, it's 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 like an inferno that comes and it burns everything that's impure. And if I'm impure too, in my thoughts or my actions or my, you know, attitude or whatever, it's gonna burn me too, amen? So, <clears throat> notice. And we know that judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this, old man, that when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now, this judgment of God is not into, you know, this has got to do with, we have a covenant with wonderful promises And we can realize those wonderful promises just like the children of Israel can if we walk in the covenant. If we don't walk in the covenant, you know, if we don't allow the laws of God that's written on our heart and the Holy Spirit, you know, helping us to uh, walk in those and we don't walk in the love of God, well, you know, we're going to have problems. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? That's what it's supposed to do. You know, because some people think, well, the kindness of God means, well, he'll he'll look over my, you know, and he does. But it's supposed to convict your heart by the Holy Spirit to say, I know, Lord, I really want to please you. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance and doing good seek for glory, honor, immortality, and eternal life, but to those who are selfishly ambitious, who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. You see what that is? I mean, it, you, you, you've given over to sin. You no longer, sin doesn't bother you. are given over. You know, you obey unrighteousness. You know, to get to where you, you obey, you, you, you set, you know, sin as your master. And that's the only way you can leave, leave God. Wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation. Notice, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. So these are just consequences, right? We can have glory, honor, we can have peace, we can have happiness. To everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now I should qualify that, you know, some people are assigned to suffer. The Apostle Paul was assigned to suffer. For there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law, well, they'll be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are just before God, But the doers of the law shall be justified. Now, we see over in chapter 3, although we don't misunderstand that, that everybody has sinned, everybody. And so it says there that there is no justification through the law. So here he's saying, if if you're a Jew, which were troubling the Romans, You know, those Jews that are troubling you, yes, they've got the law, but it's not the hearers of the law. It's not those who the law came to. It's not those who were at the foot of Mount Sinai and heard the voice of God speak the Ten Commandments who are going to be justified before God. It's those who actually obey Him, have a heart to obey Him anyway. Most of those didn't. Most of them obeyed uh, unrighteousness. So that's why he's saying that. Just were justified by faith through grace, by grace through faith. Verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things of the law, these not having the law are a law unto themselves. In other words, we have a law of nature written on our hearts. In that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the hearts of men through Jesus Christ. Now notice verse 17. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are essential, being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the darkness. Now hear that? That's what they thought. But we can think that too you know why because we're Jews aren't we it's not a Jew who is one he says that later on right up here verse 28 it's not a Jew who is one outwardly inwardly but is a Jew who is one outwardly you know so in abraham we're a spiritual Jew we're a spiritual Israel amen So it says here, if you bear the name Jew, now obviously he's talking about Jewish teachers that were coming, you know, that were claiming you needed to obey the law of God and all that and all the laws of Moses and things. That's obviously what he's talking about, but it's still, the principle still applies. Amen. If you think that you have wisdom because you know the truth, you've been given the Holy Spirit, you're in God's church, you're in his covenant, His Holy Spirit is in you. Holy Spirit is only good as far as helping you, (laughs) as long as we don't quench it, amen? As long as we don't resist it. But as long as the Holy Spirit is there. You know, I was talking about the difference between the heart, between the heart and what's in the mind, right? If you think about Isaiah, Isaiah was a righteous prophet. And Isaiah went into the temple. Now, he went in the temple every day. Maybe more than once a day. He'd go in the temple. He didn't worry about going into the temple. He went into the temple boldly to do his sacrifices or maybe to pray and talk, talk scripture with other people. I mean, he did those things, amen. But one day he walked into the temple and guess what? He literally saw the presence of God. That there was, he, God opened his eyes to see. Now he knew the, the temple was the house of God where the presence of God was. And it was a concept in his mind just like it is right now with us. It's a concept in our mind. But if God opened our spiritual eyes to truly see, well, we'd see more, amen. But he looked up and he saw God high and lifted up on his throne And the trail of his robe going. And it just made him undone. And he immediately said, He had, he he wanted to run. He wanted to run. And he said, Oh God. Suddenly he realizes something. I'm a man of unclean lips. So you know what God did. He said, son, you better straighten up them lips or I'm a-coming and my wrath is coming with me. No, that's not what he said. (laughs) But he said, I'm a man of unclean lips. God says, I got it. I'll take care of it. I hope I don't get this wrong. I think it's tongs. And he told one of the angels, Hey, take those tongs over there and get one of those coals from the fire and go down there and touch my servant whom I love with all my heart. Touch Isaiah right on the smackers there. Just tell him to pucker up and put that coal on there. And he took care of it. That's how God works. All you have to say is, I'm a mess. I'm a mess, Lord. I'm a man of or a woman of unclean lips. I'm a mess that I can't do anything about it. He realized it. And God says, Well, I can do something about it. Glad you told me. I knew it, but I wanted you to realize it. So. <laughs> and he just said, He did it. You understand that's exactly what happened with Joshua and Zechariah 3. He's standing there hopeless. He's standing there, right? He's standing there with filthy righteousness. The devil accusing him. Look at him. Look at the things he does. I mean, he's a man of filth. He dirty lips and he's a filthy mind and he does stuff. He deserves your wrath. And God just says, shut up. He's got a good lawyer. And he did it. He said, he didn't, notice something now. He didn't tell Joshua, I've got a changing room back there. You go back there in the changing room, take them old dirty clothes off, and I'll have an angel bring you some clean duds. He didn't say that, did he? What did Joshua do? He stood, just like the children of Israel at the Red Sea. By the way, let's talk about that. And God took those filthy off, clothes off, and resurrect him. Let's let's talk about that because that reminds me of a story. You know, the children of Israel were delivered out of Egypt, and there they are at the Red Sea. There's nowhere to go. Enemy on every side and the ocean behind. Hopeless. A hopeless situation. A bad, you know, that was bad logistics, amen. Bad mistake. If you're thinking in the natural, in the Korean War, there's a captain. I can't remember his name. He's quite quite famous, but he's a captain, and he accidentally leads his forces against a Kore- the Koreans in a position where he had them in front, but without, you know, setting guards at different perimeters, they were able to be on the left side, the right side, behind him as well in front. And he found that they were completely surrounded and cut off by the enemy. And that reminds me of how the devil does us. When he sends those hordes of hell, they don't just confront us, they surround us. How do you know? That's what Jesus said. Remember when he said, when he's on the cross... Uh, it's recorded in the props prophet you know in Isaiah 53 strong bulls of Bashan, that's demons surround me and they you know they're talking. they're mocking and they surround him and that's what demons do. they don't just confront they surround you know it's like deer hunting. If you don't if you deer hunt without ever looking behind you, you're going to miss a shot because a lot of times you know deer are so curious, they they come behind you to see what 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 you are and what you're doing. You have to look as behind you as much as you look in front. And so you know this this American's uh, captain there in Korea with his troops, they found themselves kind of in the same position we as Christians do. And when re- when all the the soldiers realized that they were Looked like in a hopeless situation. The very situation that, you know, West Point says, don't put your troops in. (laughs) You commanders, don't do that. Make sure that you're not flanked. Make sure you're not totally surrounded. Make sure there's a, a way of escape that you can move. And he didn't. And he saw the despair. But this man, he had confidence in himself. And by the way, he came through. They made it. This captain, he looked around and he saw all the hopelessness and the despair on his soldier's face. So he thought, what can I do? And he said, boys, well, the enemy is in front of us. They're behind us and they're on both sides. So it's for sure they ain't getting away now. We got them just where we want we know where they are. We got them just where we want them. Amen. Let's go back to Romans 2. That's the kind of faith we need. Amen. We need the kind of faith that when, <laughs> when we see the enemy surrounding us, we say, we think, Oh, you don't even know. You don't even know because you, you think you're surrounding us. You remember when uh, Elisha, when the army came and surrounded his house and his servant Gehazi went out and saw them, mighty army, and he ran in and he said, we're surrounded. Elisha, uh, you know, Elisha didn't even go out. He just said, there's more of us than them. Yeah, they're surrounding us, (laughs) but they're surrounded (laughs) by a superior force. We don't have to worry. They have to worry because it's not the power of the enemy. It is the strength of the deliverer. Amen. So we can't like, talk to God about our mountain without first telling our mountain, you know, we can say to God, oh, Lord, and we should, but we just have to do both. Oh, Lord, my mountain is so big. Well, then you got to then tell the mountain, mountain, my God, is really big. My God is a lot bigger than, than I need for you, Amen. And we just trust him. Okay, verse 17. But if you bear the name Jew, and, you know, the, the Jews thought that they were blind; they were guides of the blind and rely upon the law because they had the law, they had God's teaching, and boast in God. Well, look at who I am. And, and know his will and approve the things that are essential being instructed out of the law. And you're confident that you yourself are also a guide to the blind. A light to those who are in darkness. You're a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and of truth. So the point is, you know, we don't set ourselves like like this to each other. Because here's the problem. We live in glass houses, so if we throw a rock, we're going to break our own window. <laughs> That's what happens, you know. We thought, well, I want... I wasn't aiming at my window. The thing about it is, whenever we throw rocks at people, we, we we usually miss sometimes, you know. They just get mad because we threw it. One time when I was a kid, there was my little neighbor. He was, I don't know, he was maybe five years old. I was maybe 10 or something. And I saw him out and kind of in the distance and I thought, well, I'll scare him a little bit. So I got a little dirt clod, you know. It was dry, though, because it had been dry. And I just threw it way up in the air. And I thought, well, it'll just land. And, and I like to watch this reaction. <laughs> it landed right there. <laughs> right on that poor little kid's head. And he just, went, ah! You know, screamed and just take off. He didn't know what happened. I mean, it just came out of nowhere. He didn't see anybody throw anything. It was just like walking around, Pew! And the dust flying everywhere, and he just took off running. And I thought, Oh Lord, I ran too because I knew he was going to be in trouble if his mama found out. Because his mama was a big mama, and her, she and her husband fought all the time, and she won physically. I mean, he was beat up quite a bit. <laughs> but that little kid was—he was something else. He when he was like about three years old, he would run out of the house with his britches down saying, I'm going to pee on you. And Does he try to pee on anybody in here? If you're watching, I remember that, Ronnie. <laughs> so he says here, you know, if you're a corrector of the foolish, you set yourself as a corrector of the foolish and we all have. We've been on both ends a teacher of the immature because you got this knowledge. Well, verse 21 says, You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach to one, don't steal or don't do this or don't commit adultery, do you do it? Do you, you know, you say don't have an idol. Well, do you have idols? So he says don't boast in what you know. That's what he's saying. Because in that you would dishonor God. And then he said, you know, because you teach the law, but you don't do the law yourself. That's why, you know, even if we have to go to a brother, you know, like Jesus said, uh, we have to go to a brother uh, in such humility to where we say we're thinking in our mind, we're thinking, I know exactly (laughs) where you are, because, you know, I'm in the same place, too. If I'm not there right now, I've been there. Amen. Now we're going to go over to Philippians chapter two. <clears throat> I make a few points here. I think I mentioned most of them. Every significant change in history began with "I will." I mean, we think about Noah. Noah was righteous. We're here because he was righteous. He said, I will follow you, Lord. I will walk righteously before you, you, Lord. And no one else in the world did. He was the only person. He was alone. That's pretty significant. That meant not his wife, not any of his children, They were saved because of him, just like we're saved because of Abraham first and because of the covenant that God made with Jesus, the Father made with the Son. You know, listen. You remember the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, the tax collector, and they're in the temple, right? And the Pharisee, by every... uh, you know, standard was righteous. By the law, I mean, by the law he was righteous because the law didn't say, thou shalt not be self-righteous. And the law didn't say, uh, thou shalt be humble and thou shalt not have pride or be prideful. God said things like that, but there was not a commandment, you know, that like that. In the law, there's no commandments like that. So by the law, he, you know, the, there was no commandment that's in the Old Testament that said, if you have lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. You know, there was no commandment that if you have hate in your heart, unforgiveness in your heart, then you've committed murder. That's not there. So by the law, he's righteous. He fasts twice a week. And he's proud of it. <laughs> and, you know, he gives... I mean, he 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 ties off everything. If there's a plant that's got ten little leaves on it of mint, he take or come in. He takes that one off. This one's for you, Lord. He didn't miss anything. He was conscientious about it, and he was pretty proud about it. He thought about it, you know, and he realized how how good he was compared. So he said, "I thank you, Lord." that I'm not like that man. And you know, something to notice. It says that that man, and maybe because he was humble before God, maybe because he, he was afraid the Pharisee would say something to him if he got near, but the Bible says he stood at a distance. Probably because he felt distant. Probably because he felt distant from God, and he knows the Pharisees talking about it. So I'm glad I'm not like that old sinner over there. Look at what all I do, and the fear and the publican is just the tax the worst, the bottom of the barrels, the tax collectors. You know that's worse than the prostitutes. I mean that's worse because they're doing the work of the Romans. They're despised. If you ever saw the, that series. Uh, the the chosen—you'll see that with Matthew before he was called, how despised he was, and they were all thought of as cheats, and most of them were. That's why Zacchaeus, you know, gave money back to people because he had cheated people. But there he, he, he—you know what he does? He rips his clothes, and that is a—that's a—that's an act. Uh, uh, that was a a way to display humility, uh, despair, hopelessness, and he then beat his chest. He beat himself. He hated himself. You know what that man was? He was a sin-sick soul whose heart was tormented by his own sins, but he felt trapped. He felt hopeless. He was helpless. He didn't have the Holy Spirit to help him. I don't know his position. He probably was not born in some kind of noble position like that Pharisee. And he wouldn't do anything, but he wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. You hear me? I said he wouldn't lift his eyes to heaven because he was so ashamed. He beat his chest. He tore his clothes before the Lord. I'm sure the Pharisees saw it, probably chuckled a little under his breath, probably thinking, that guy's going to fry, (laughs) and he deserves it. And uh, the publican said, have mercy. That's all he said you know he didn't do anything except be humble except be a sin sick soul whose heart was grieved by his own his own sins and he said have mercy on me oh god i'm a sinner now you notice what he didn't say I'll make a deal with you. I promise that I won't ever sin again. That's what a lot of people do, you know, when they get in a situation. If you get me out of this, I made testimonies we've heard like that, not in the church, but out there. I tell you what, if you get me out of this, I mean, I'm going to, you can count on me from now on. I'll do whatever, you know. I'll whip myself with a belt till my back is bleeding or whatever. I will wear a belt of nails around here, this big belly. All he said was, he didn't try to make a deal. God already made a deal. You don't have to make a deal with God. Deal's already been made. What's your word worth anyway? (laughs) Nothing. But the word of Jesus and the word of the Father is everything. He cannot lie. And when he says that he will guard us and he will never let go, he won't. Once you're in covenant with God, it's really difficult. You can't just, he won't let you just walk away. He may have to destroy you to where you die first. If that's what it takes for him to give you eternal life, he may take your life. And you know what? That's okay with me. I I actually pray that. I actually even pray by any means. By the most painful means. I, I pray that prayer regularly. By the most painful, I don't care, Lord. Just I want your will. And I want to be with you forever. I love you with all my heart. And I know you love me. And I don't want to miss that love for all eternity. But I've never stopped hating sin. I've always loved righteousness, love, and so do y'all. You do. So don't even entertain the thought that you're in danger of losing your salvation. You're not even, there's no way. First of all, he didn't save you for you. He saved you for him. For the joy set before him, Jesus did what he did. He loved us but he created us for him, for his glory. We're his family. And so we don't have to worry about any of that. Philippians chapter 2. You know, this is a beautiful passage in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to have to close, but um, so I don't know if we'll read any of Colossians. Maybe if I just go quickly, we might be able to do both of them. Uh, Therefore, if anyone, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, well, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. What's empty conceit? Empty conceit is when you think you're giving, but you really want something in return. That's not giving. That's trading. (laughs) Okay, I'll do this for you if you'll do that for me. That's a bargain. That's what you do at the market, you know. Give me that milk. Well, we, we're going to get milk at the market. Give me that loaf of bread and I'll give you some money to pay for it. You see, that's a bargain. If you're going to give, you give. And when you give, you don't think about it anymore. That's what Jesus said. If you give, whether it's for give or give or whatever it is, you give. Empty conceit is you're conceited in your mind because you're wanting something else. So that's why he puts it together. You see, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, because that, you know, if if you if it's something that's got to come back to self, it's not giving. It's giving with it's trading with the hope of a trade, with with the hope of doing something else but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. is that right? Regard one another as more important than yourselves. None of us know what God has in plan for each one of us for eternity. None of us. We don't know if we're workers all day long or we can't. You started at 9, 12, 3, or at 5. We don't know. But we're going to be rewarded. Amen. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in you that was in Jesus Christ, who, although he existed, in the form of God, before he came as a man, of course. He did, though he did, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And in the Greek, it means something to be selfishly held on to. He emptied himself to save others. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You remember what we we love those scriptures, and you know Hebrews chapter two, where Jesus is not ashamed to call his brethren, and he announces to the whole heavenly host, "This is my family. This is my brothers." You know, I'm not ashamed to be, and he said he he took you know the, he took on the flesh because we were in the flesh. So he took on the flesh to be with us, God with us, Emmanuel. He was pleased to be with us, and he came to be with us for us to see God in human form. And then he gave his life for us so that we could live with him in God form and glory. And I love that because it says there a remarkable script, unbelievable passage. It says he's not ashamed because both he and the children all come from one Father. We're all born of God. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father, so then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, just because he was in prison at Rome at the time, now, in my absence work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Hang on. Obey God. That's what he's saying. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Notice that, both to will. You know, all we have to do is take one step. We take one step and he finishes it. I mean, he finishes it. You just commit. You just make the commit. You commit to do, if you know something will glorify him and you say, there's no way I can do it. I don't have the means to do it. I don't have the talent to do it. I, there's no way I can do it. Take the step. Be the one that says, okay, it all begins with me. I, I'll do it. I don't know how. I can't myself, but he is more than able. And you take that step and you'll find just what we read there. Notice what we read. Now notice don't be notice what we read cuz we can focus on working out our own salvation and leave out the part where it says he's the one doing it. <laughs> he's the one in us doing it. So we just allow it. For it is God who is at work in you both to will. That means he he will give us if we just say, okay, look, it's hard, but I will. Then he'll fill that cup of will to where it overflows, to where really it'll be his will in you and you'll have power. And the work for his good pleasure, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But notice he said, but I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Me, I'm a sacrifice. I'm making a sacrifice and service of your faith up, and I rejoice. Please share my joy with you. So I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. We'll just read a little Colossians, and then we'll close. After this, we'll have Barbara come up and close us in prayer. Ask the blessing on the meal. I hope she heard me. <laughs> um, Colossians chapter three, verse eight, eight. But now you also put on all put them all aside. All the bad things. Put aside anger, put aside wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Now, you hear that? Put on the new self. We can do it. We can do it. And if we think we can't do it, just say, Lord, I'm, I'm gonna need a couple angels to help me dress. I mean, you get you you sent some angels for Joshua, so I mean, you know, I'm not worried about them, you know, laughing at what I look like. Just, I mean, I just need some help. Put on the new self. And this new self is being renewed to a true knowledge, a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, or Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, I love that, don't you? Those who have been chosen of God, Hmm. holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. And whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Now I want to say something. The Lord forgives us if we have a repentant heart, if we truly care about the Lord. It's not that you have to say, I repent. Did the man, did the publican say, I repent? Who? Well, where do we find? I mean, you know, we initially repent. Yes. Yes. And there may be things that we got to stop doing. That's called repent. But when we have a repent, we're living with a repentant heart when we have the Holy Spirit. We're in a state of repentance, you know. When we're convicted, we're in a state of repentance. And that comes with the new self that we put on. And we can put it on, you know. Maybe it comes in layers, <laughs> and you know, but we'll be blessed if we put it on so that those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, the very things that are extremely hard to do, and we fail in all the time, and we will. Bearing with one, this these are goals that we aspire to, amen, that we may never achieve in this life, but we aspire to. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against someone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Even if they don't come and say, I repent. The publican didn't say that. He said, have mercy on me, oh God, a sinner. Beyond, God knew he had a repentant heart. But he was stuck. He didn't say, I'll make a deal with you. I won't, tax, I won't collect any taxes anymore if you forgive me. He didn't say that. He probably left there. And Do you think the, the prostitute that, that washed uh, Jesus' feet with, with, you know, her hair uh, just suddenly stopped being a prostitute? I don't know. But there's no indication that she did it. It's probably it was a process of conviction and overcoming, you know, receiving the power to. Beyond all these things, put on love, because love is a perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. We can. We can let trouble rule our hearts, and we can let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. Now, you can be very righteous and still be troubled. Paul was troubled, and he was righteous. David was troubled, and he was righteous. So it's not that, ah, I'm just peaceful all the time, everything. It's not that but you can have peace in times of trouble. You can have peace in trouble knowing that God's in it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be faithful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. How do we admonish one another? Uh, let's see, what do he say? Oh, with psalms, with hymns, spiritual songs where's the wait wait a minute Uh, I can't find criticizing is it in that translation how do I I thought I could if I'm going to admonish and teach somebody I need to be critical oh well I guess they left it out this is probably a new age translation (laughs) no here's how we admonish one another and teach one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to god just like what we did last night and today whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks through him to god the father so it all begins with i